Uh, my name is Tim Power. I am uh, the pastor of Modern Worship here. We are in a new sermon series called Rules to Live By. Now, we're going to get very Methodist here for a couple of weeks because we're going to be talking about John Wesley's three simple rules of how to do life. Now, if you don't know much about John Wesley, let me tell you a little bit about John Wesley. He was an Anglican minister, um, and here's what you need to know about him. He came to the United States after he had finished his ordination into the Anglican Church, and he wanted to become a missionary to the United States along with his brother Charles. They had done their schooling. They had done their training. They were coming with many ideas about what they could do in the new world, how they could um, preach in the churches, what they could bring to the new world. And he came to the new, new world and started, started to preach and started his mission's work. There was one problem. He didn't really know Jesus. He didn't really know Jesus. He was ordained, people. He, he was a, a man of the church. He was, he was a, a pastor of the Anglican church. However, he found when he came here, he had, was very unfruitful, very ineffective in, his, ineffective in his ministry. And he went home feeling like a failure. And he felt like what he couldn't do is he couldn't exactly even say if he knew what it meant to have a relationship with God. What happened was he returned to England. And, uh, and probably like a lot of us, when we feel failure, we just kind of want to hide. We don't want to be around anybody. Uh, somebody had told him about a meeting at a church in London uh, on Aldersgate Street, and he attended, even though probably like even some people in this room, he didn't feel like going to church. Let me tell you, if you feel like not going to church, that's probably the day you absolutely need to go to church because something's about to happen. Okay, so that was the case with John Wesley. He did not want to go to this meeting. He shows up in the meeting, and he's sitting there and taking in worship, and something powerful happens, not just powerful in a sense of he got a new idea. He had this encounter with God that was altogether physical. He said there was a, a, a warmth, almost like a burning passion on the inside of his heart, and he said something changed in him that day that was totally different than anything he'd experienced, and he came to know Jesus Christ not just as a concept, not just as a religious idea, it blew away his theology, and he figured out that, whoa, this is a personal experience, a personal relationship with a living God that has put a fire on the inside of me. It totally transformed him. And guess what? Guess what happened? Revival broke out. The Methodist movement was started because a man with a fire on the inside of him came and just started preaching the gospel of a personal transformational relationship with God. And guess what happened? What went, what went from failure became fruitfulness through John Wesley. It was a powerful thing. People were getting saved and the society was getting changed because guess what? People who were living their lives for themselves, who were living selfishly, started saying, they started looking around and saying, why aren't we caring for the poor? Why aren't we caring for uh, the widows? Why are we enslaving a huge number of people who are also children of God? It changed society because their hearts were transformed, their hearts were warmed by a personal relationship with the living God, and they started transforming the society. Now, John Wesley, as he was uh, starting to form groupings of people, what he wanted to do was give them some bullet points. Who likes bullet points? Sometimes when I'm telling my wife a story, I can get into the details, and she has to say, bullet points. We only have so much time before dinner's ready. Bullet points. Okay, so what he wanted to do was give some bullet points on some, some ways of living a holy life, and not just ways of living. 
he called them his general rules, and I call them Wesley's three simple rules. They're just bullet points about the marks of a Christian life. Now, I want to read these really quick, um, the, and we're going to spend three weeks on these. John Wesley's three simple rules are this. Do no harm. Sounds like Google, doesn't it? Two is this. Do good. And three is stay in love with God. So those are bullet points. They don't give us all the details of what that looks like, how that's worked out, but it gives us a framework on which we can lay the scriptural underpinnings of these very, very basic concepts of what it looks like to live the Christian life. And here's why I say that. Okay, when we hear rules, who likes that word? Rules. Oh, a couple people do. Rule followers. I remember one time I was, um, my, my son Max, uh, he was uh, always begging me to sit up front, and, and at the time, okay, I'm sorry if there's any law enforcement in here, or, um, I, I would let him sit up front with me even though he was probably a little too small weight-wise to sit up in the front seat. And um, even though he wanted to do that, uh, like he knows his mom would always say, it's against the rules. And one time, I just said, Max, you could sit up front with me, and he said, no. I said, well, why not? And he goes, Dad, you're really not much of a rules guy, are you? <laughs> So he called me out. My own son called me out about rules. So people, people have different uh, engagement with rules. But here's the point I want us to get when we talk about the rules that Wesley's talking about. They are marks of a disciple, okay? They are not, I'll say it this way, and I'll say this every single week. Rules are confirmation, not a condition of a relationship with God. Rules are confirmation, not a condition of a relationship with God. God is not interested in you following his rules. He's interested in a relationship with you. John Wesley was following all of the rules before his heart was warmed by the presence of the living God. You can have the rules down and still not have the relationship. But what John Wesley was saying with these rules is when you are engaged in a personal relationship with God, this will follow. It's just what happens. And so when we look at these, these should just be the markings. These should just be, we can look into our lives. Am I living this out? Am I walking it out? If not, then, then something's wrong. I need to re-engage my heart with the living God. Now today we're going to talk about do no harm. And I'm going to start by reading a passage. It's a little bit long, so try to stick with me. It's so powerful. It's from Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. It says this, I say, and this is the Apostle Paul talking to the early church. This is after Jesus has, has risen and he gave us the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, this is what Paul is exhorting the early church. I say, be guided by the Spirit. And you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the spirit. And the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other. So you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. But if you are being led by the spirit, you aren't under the law. The actions that are pr produced by selfish motives are obvious since they include sexual immorality moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, casting spells. I, I'm feeling that. My, we've got a lot of Harry Potter fans at my house. My, my three-year-old's casting spells constantly. Hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, 
conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunk. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting out of breath reading all of the sinfulness. Jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and desires. I know that was a lengthy passage, but there's a lot in there that we can apply to this do no harm. Human beings generally are selfish. Would you agree or disagree? Agree? Um, a book came out in 1976 by Richard Dawkins. He's more. He's now known more as a uh, as a kind of a uh, an atheist. Uh, I would say apologetic for atheism. He does a lot of uh, debating with uh, theologians and things like that uh, in support of atheism. At in the 1970s, he was one of the leading um, uh, evolutionary biologists, and he released a book called "The Selfish Gene." And the idea of this book was that down to our very core nature, our very, the very beginnings of our biology, our genes, were selfish. Our genes are constantly fighting uh, to get their own way. And he said this actually goes out into the animal kingdom and everything else is that our biological nature is that we're selfish and we should be because you've got to look out for you. Nobody else is going to look out for you. So even on a genetic level, we're selfish and we should be. Um, this, is, this is actually something our culture teaches people. And we are right now, if you're reading the news at all, you're seeing the outgrowth of a society that has for a long time taught people that selfishness is the way of the world and it's okay, that you should be selfish. Who has seen hashtag me too all over? Um, this is going through social media, and what I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm just, this is my opinion personally, but I think we're seeing a culture that has raised men and boys with the assumption that your personal needs, your desires are so important that if you can satisfy them, even if it means the harm, that you are harming the dignity and safety of another child of God. Another individual whose very humanity you're disregarding through your actions. That's okay because you know what? We're selfish at our nature, and as long as your desires are satisfied, that's okay. And at a, right now, our society's like, we see it as a problem. We see the outgrowth of the problem, which is people being disregarded and, and abused, but we have no answers for it because we've trained a culture that says, be selfish. It's what you're supposed to be. It's who you are down to your very genetic nature is selfish. But the Bible gives us a very clear alternative from this selfish, harmful way to live. Do no harm. And the Bible gives us not just, the Bible doesn't just tell us do no harm. Here's the great thing is that God gives us and he equips us with power to live differently. And that's what I want to talk about for the next couple minutes, which is he gives us the Holy Spirit. I was just doing a, a group study on our Total Tuesday nights uh, uh, where we are studying a book called The Forgotten God, and it's by Francis Chan, and he talks about the Holy Spirit and how people disregard the, that part of the Godhead with the Holy Spirit. It's such an important part of following Jesus, of knowing what the Holy Spirit does on the inside of you and how it changes your life and how it can change how you live. Um, in John 14... 
verse 16, Jesus talks about sending the Holy Spirit. This is at the end of his earthly ministry. He has died on the cross for our sins. He's been raised again into glory, and he is going to heaven, and he's telling his disciples, listen, you don't have to worry. I'm going to give you a helper, and here's what he says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to him with your life, believe it or not, maybe if you've not even felt it, you have the Holy Spirit resident within you. Okay, this is a powerful thing and it'll make your life look different. And what these marks are going to follow you. And we see, actually, what difference does it make in your life? What is different about somebody who is walking in the Spirit, who is living their life in the Spirit? Well, let's go back to this verse where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, okay, if the Spirit is the seed or the Spirit is this tree, what is the fruit that's growing out of that in your life? And this is what it should be. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. What I want to do very briefly is talk about four characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. There's four characteristics that I see here really, really fascinating. And I'll go through these real quick, and then we'll, we'll take them individually. First, the fruit of the Spirit grows gradually. I hope that's not disappointing, but I'll, I'll tell you why, in a minute why it's not. The second is, fruit of the Spirit grows inevitable in people of God. This fruit of the Spirit is inevitable in your life if you are a follower of Jesus. The third is, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's one thing. It's not many. It sounded like a list, but it's actually one thing. The fourth is that the, sp- the fruit of the Spirit grows from the inside out, not the outside in. First of all, let's look at this thing about it being gradual. Why does it say the fruit of the Spirit? Why not the characteristics of the Spirit? Why does it use this analogy? And we see a lot in Scripture where it uses botanical analogies. Well, I think it's because it doesn't all come at once. Who's got a garden? Right when you put that plant in, does it just sprout up and jump out of the ground? No, no, it takes time. It takes time for the fruit of the Spirit to grow up and become what it should be in full maturity. This might be a little bit, uh, if, if you're struggling with some of these areas, it might be a little bit um, disappointing. But you know what? This is how the, the, the fruit of the Spirit works in our lives. It's gradual, but it, it works out in powerful ways. It's also for some of us, if we feel like we're struggling in this, it's, it's a God's way of saying, I'm still working you through these things. I'm still growing you up. If you're not walking in fullness of the fruit of the Spirit, you're on a journey towards it. God is growing these things up in you. The second was that the fruit of, uh, of the Spirit grows inevitably. You remember I said earlier that um, these things, these rules, are not a condition. They're, they're just an outgrowth of, of knowing God. I want to say the same thing about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what comes out of us. It's, you, you can't get away from it. If you're following Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit will sprout. Um, so I, I heard an, an interesting uh, parallel uh, from, a, from a, uh, a minister named G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, he was a minister from a long time ago in England, and he, he had this great illustration of this idea of the fruit of the Spirit being both gradual, 
but inevitable. He talked about, he went to see a, a beautiful cemetery in Italy, and there was a huge piece of, a huge marble slab that years and years ago, an acorn fell under before the marble slab was installed. Okay, so they, they had buried someone, and then an acorn fell in. They put a marble slab down. Now, if you ask me what is stronger, an acorn or a marble slab, I would say this tiny little acorn or a two-ton marble slab, I'd say marble slab wins every time, right? No, acorn wins every time because out of that, out of that marble slab, it cracked in half because an acorn grew up and it grew into a chute, which became a tree trunk. And right now, in this big marble slab, a, a huge tree has grown, okay? Understand this is that God's work in your life through the fruit of the Spirit is going to break through anything. It can break through anything in your life. No matter how big, no matter how strong a stronghold in your life, something that you feel like an addiction you can't break, the fruit of the Spirit will break through. It will always break through. It is gradual, but it's inevitable. God's power always breaks through in our lives. The third thing is that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. Okay, do you notice that he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit? And I sometimes make that mistake when I'm just saying it out loud, the fruits of the Spirit, because there's a bunch of words, right? But notice this. It sounds like a, a grammatical error that my old English teacher, uh, Sandy Lahuka, would have called me out on if I was di diagramming a sentence. It is a singular object and a, and a plural predicate. That's a mistake, right? No, it's not. Actually, the Apostle Paul is being very careful with his language. Um, there's a, uh, uh, there was a Puritan pastor named Jonathan Edwards, and he had a great word for this. He said the fruit of the Spirit is, I'm going to get this wrong, concatenation. It is when you have something that is many parts, but all work together to make one thing. So your house is a concatenation of a lot of things, that a lot of building materials. So if you were walking around with just a board from your house, just a two-by-four, and somebody said, what do you got there? You could say, my house. Would that be accurate? No, you've just got a two-by-four. But when you put that together with a lot of other things, it becomes something bigger than it is. And so when when the Apostle Paul is talking about these fruits of the Spirit, they don't work on their own. And in fact, if you're missing one of them, Something's off in the other parts. Take, for instance, there, there can be somebody who's very joyful, somebody who's very, very joyful, and yet they, they're joyful out of pride. So that you can be joyful out of pride, but that means other things, you don't have the humility aspect of it. There can be people who are gentle. I'm sometimes guilty of this myself, who are gentle people. You're just a sweetheart. But you know what? It's not the fruit of the spirits. That's your Myers-Briggness coming out. You're just a gentle person by nature. But sometimes gentle people can't speak the truth in love. Sometimes gentle people aren't faithful people. And unless you're both faithful and gentle, you don't have the fruit of the spirit in your life. There's sometimes people who have self-control and, and, you know, I, when I was growing up, you'd hear this more. People are more sensitive. I remember sometimes they would use pride to beat down things in, in, in young boys, and they would say something like this, don't cry, you're acting like a girl. Well, they would say that, and you know what they were really trying to do? What they were trying to say is you're better than a girl. They cry, 
and they try to make a pride thing come out. And we can use pride to beat down all sorts of other vices in our lives. But the kind of, the kind of humility, the kind of self-control that comes from the fruit of the Spirit is altogether different. It's altogether more powerful and can change you in so many ways. So the fruit of the Spirit is singular. And the last thing I want to say, I'm going to invite the band back up while I, while I cover this ground. The fruit of the Spirit grows from the inside out, not the outside in. There's two types of growth. You know, there's, there's what we call mechanical growth, and then there's spiritual growth. Mechanical growth is like this, a pile of bricks. Okay, you can keep adding to a pile of bricks, right? It's growing from the outside, but is it alive? Is a pile of bricks alive and growing? No, no, no. You're just adding more to it. That is mechanical, not organic growth. The spiritual growth that we see... Think about a child. A child is growing from the inside out. Think about a tree. A tree is growing from the inside out. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's not from the outside in. And here's the thing. You cannot white-knuckle yourself to have more of the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot force yourself to do these things. And so when we talk about doing no harm, believe it or not, without God, we're all going to do harm. Without the work of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we'll all do harm. Here's the thing. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't come through determination, but only through transformation. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't come through determination. It's me trying to white-knuckle my way into doing the right thing all the time. You're going to fail. You'll always fail. It only comes through transformation. You can only live the life that is Spirit-filled if you've had a genuine encounter with God. And so I'm going to just make an invitation right now. The band's going to play that song again about the reckless love of God. Christianity teaches this, that we are all fallen short. We have all fallen short. We've sinned in some way, okay? And that we can only live this kind of life that does no harm, that seeks the good of others. We can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that means surrendering our hearts to God. Surrendering our lives to a God who surrendered his own life for us. We believe that Jesus Christ took on that same sin that we all have in our lives. But that he took that on so that he would die in our place. That he would take on the pain the punishment for sin and death so that we could live new lives that are transformed. And listen, God didn't just come to save you from hell, although he did. He came to save you from the hell of your own selfishness. He came to put the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you so that we could live lives differently. And right now, who can give me an amen? This world needs some of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you would, stand to your feet. And I'm just going to pray. And there's probably... Some people in this room who you've given your heart to God, you've given your life to God, but you're not seeing this fruit. Don't feel condemned. Just rededicate your heart to God and say, God, I want to walk in the Spirit. Let me see some of this fruit in my life. Let me see this growing in me. If you've never seen any of this in your life and you've just never had that, that moment where you've experienced the moving of God on your hearts, I just want to encourage you. Maybe right now would be a time to say, yes, God, I want to feel that. I want to feel the life transformation, the warming in my heart, the, the heart set on fire for you. You can do that right now. You can pray that right now in your seat as we're singing this song. Lord God, I just pray that we would encounter you.
If we've encountered you before, I pray that you would give even a greater measure of your spirit to us so that we would see the fruit. If we've never encountered you in a life-changing way, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall in power right now on our hearts, that you would change something. We would feel something like we've never felt before, and we would know that we are changed, that we are different, that we can love more greatly in light of what you've done for us. So, Lord, as we sing this, I pray that we would make it our prayer to you a a thankfulness for your reckless love, your abandoning yourself for our good. And help us to want to have the same reckless love for both you and for a world that desperately needs you, Lord. In your holy name, amen.